Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that prayer of supplication. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 John as we continue to move through the epistles of this great apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 John, we'll be looking at uh, beginning in verse 7. 2 John, verse 7. A couple, well-dressed, mannerly, respectful, friendly. People show up at your door, your front door, unannounced. And they want to talk with you about religion. And more specifically, they want to talk to you about God. And you announce to them, well, I believe in Jesus. Oh, they're gleeful to return. Their response is, well, we do too. So you're safe, right? Maybe not. It's good for us to realize that not everybody that goes around that makes the claim to believe in Jesus may not be a biblical Christian. In fact, they may not be a Christian at all. In fact, the very people standing before you there at your door saying that they believe in Jesus could very well be Jehovah's Witnesses. They could be Mormons. They could be Muslims. You see, if you probe deeper and pry a little bit harder as to what their specific beliefs are, you'll find out they don't believe in the Jesus that you believe in. And that's why it's important. You see, unknowingly, many gullible, immature Christians find themselves being victims of these cults, these imposters. And it's, it's a tragic thing because many people think they're following down the road of truth when all along they're being misled and deceived to believe in what is a, a lie. And that can have eternal consequences, brothers and sisters. And so it's important that we know Jesus, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah of the world, and our Lord and our Master. So the aging Apostle John, as he's writing from the city of Ephesus, which is the base of operation, if you will, for his pastoral ministry to a number of churches throughout Asia Minor, he's writing this second of his epistles, and we're going to close out the second half of this second epistle. And in doing so, John, the, 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 the apostle that is known as, as the, the disciple that Jesus loved, according to John's own words in John's Gospel in chapter 13, verse 23. The beloved disciple is writing with a, a degree of seriousness. As you see beginning in verse 7, John begins this second half of his second epistle issuing a very somber, very somber warning to the Christians who will be reading this letter. First of all, he's warning them of the presence of spiritual enemies. And this has been a part of the theme of John's epistle, his first epistle, which you recall, and, and now is also a part of the content of the second epistle and will be in his last third epistle. This is a big deal. Because I, I know, and Pastor Mark could certainly concur, from a pastor's heart, having been entrusted with the responsibility of shepherding God's people in the truth, it's a very dangerous thing when we sense the imposition of false teachings 
that are trying to infiltrate the fellowship of the believers because it can undermine the very faith relationship of, of Christians who are unknown and not on guard. And so John issues this somber warning of the presence of spiritual enemies. Read with me, beginning in verse 7 of 2 John. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. You may recall back in 1 John, particularly in chapter 2, verses 18, John spoke of the spirit of the antichrist. These false teachers, these deceivers who were already out there. And this is first century. This is only decades after the Lord Jesus Christ has, has been crucified and resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven. This is only a few years after the Apostle Paul has gone off the scene himself now in heaven. So soon, I'm sure this is shocking to John. Back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Little children... It is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. John is warning, and here in verse 7, in 2 John, he said, For many deceivers, not just one or two, not just a, a handful, but many deceivers, these false prophets, these false teachers, and there in the very city of Ephesus where John is writing this, where his home base is, if you will, there's, there's a strong presence of, of heresy. One of the predominant heresies that, were on the, that was on the scene of that day was Gnosticism. And, you know, I've already introduced that to you. And it had already began to, to mutate, if you will. There were different schools of, of Gnosticism going around. There were those who followed a fellow by the name of Serenthus. There in Ephesus, who was a heretic, who, who taught that Jesus, the man, and Christ were two different individuals, two different entities. That the divine nature of God only came upon Christ at His baptism. And then at the cross, it had to depart. Because God in His divine nature, His deity, could never suffer the humiliation of crucifixion and death. And so he was teaching that, the, that, that Jesus was actually two different entities. And, and so John felt so strongly against this, this false prophet, this false teacher who was going around and undoing the good work of, of, of the Apostle Paul and, and the Apostle John and so many others who were working so hard to teach the truth of the gospel. And he's warning these people. Church tradition tells us that the Apostle John had strong feelings against Serenthus. In fact, in one account it says that John the Apostle went to the public bathhouse there in Ephesus. And when he went in, he saw Serenthus sitting in one of the bathing pools. And it says that John jumped up, grabbed his clothes, didn't even bother to get dressed, and ran out. And as he went, went running out, he says, everybody flee for your lives, for the apostate is in there. Now that was church tradition. You won't find it in your Bible. But supposedly that's how strongly he felt about this man who was going around teaching and deceiving so many. But like I said, this was just one branch of Gnosticism that was infiltrating the early church. There was another branch called uh, Docetism, which was also a form of Gnosticism. So you had your Docetic Gnostics who were also promoting that Jesus really never was physically a man. That actually Jesus was a, an illusion 
given by God to, to the apostles, to the disciples, so as to, to make them think that he was a man, but actually everybody knew that, that deity could never become a part of matter. And therefore, that was, uh, this is what Jesus really was. And of course, that runs very counter to the teachings of the very biblical gospel that we love and cherish and believe. The Apostle Paul also issued similar warnings. Paul, even before he was taken to be with the Lord there in heaven, you may recall that in the book of Acts in chapter 20, Paul, in this very moving experience, he's on his way to Jerusalem, which will be his last tour, if you will. Because from Jerusalem he'll be arrested, and then from there he'll be put in prison, and then on the way to Rome he'll be, he'll be beheaded. And as Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem, he is there at a port city, Miletus, and he calls for the elders of, this, of, of Ephesus to come and meet with him. And in that very emotional, that very insightful gathering with the elders that day there at that port as he's getting ready to get back on his ship, Paul gives these words to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he says in Acts 20, verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves, he's speaking of the false teachers, the heretics, these savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Do you think that was a big deal to Paul? Do you think that was a great concern to this masterful apostle of the gospel? Sure it was. Paul was deeply concerned about the presence of false teachers and so was John and so should we be in this 21st century in which we live. We need to heed the somber warning of the presence of those who are absolutely enemies of the true gospel even though they propose that they are maybe believers themselves. John's somber warning not only was of the presence of spiritual enemies, but it was also of the identity of these spiritual adversaries, if you will. Go back to 2 John and look with me there in verse 9. John says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both Father and the Son. And this is important as we consider what John is saying. Christians of that day were expected to, to open up their homes and, and fellowship. And, and they needed to be careful about who they were entertaining. John insisted that the true Christ, the true Christ was indeed fully God and he was fully man. And you need to listen carefully. When you're dialoguing with people who are trying to share their religious convictions with you, even when they say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus, you and I need to make sure that we know what we know about Jesus and, and, and that we're thoroughly grounded in the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed the only begotten Son of God. And that he was fully man and he was fully God and that he indeed was the savior of the world by virtue of the fact that he died on the cross 
to pay the price for our sins and there's never been another one like him and never will be. Christians zealously discern and they not only discern the truth but they remain in the truth and so I want to take you back to that verse 9 and I want to walk with you through that again I want you to see something that's important that depending upon the translation that you're reading you may miss the, the essence of the point that John is making here in talking about the identity of false teachers in verse 9 he says whoever transgresses according to my new king james version in other text it may say goes ahead or goes too far and john is saying whoever transgresses or or goes too far does not abide in the doctrine of christ and does not have god what is john saying right there at that point i think you could it would help us if we went back to first corinthians in chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, and, and listen to what Paul is saying here. Because what John is saying is there are those who are going around making the circuit around with Christians, with churches, and, and they are claiming to be teaching about Jesus. And he says a pro there's a problem. They have transgressed. They have gone too far. They've gone beyond the truth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you know, we, we read where the Apostle Paul is, is addressing this. He says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively tra transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. In other words, Paul says, if you go back and read the context of chapter 3 and, and chapter 4, Paul has been speaking of himself and Apollos, two of the greatest preachers of the gospel of that time, and he's been using the analogy that they were builders, that they were, they were farmers, they were planting and they were building. And, and, and Paul is saying, I use that language so that you will be able to understand. It helps sometimes. You know, just as Jesus taught in parables and he used analogies. And so Paul says, I was speaking of, of Apollos and myself as, as farmers and as builders for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. He says, oh sure, Apollos is preaching, I am preaching, but let me tell you something, we are both confined by the parameters of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are confined to stay within that. And we use ourselves, Paul says, as an example for those of you who would choose to be a teacher or a preacher that you dare not transgress the truth of the Word of God and the message of the Gospel according to the Word of God and the apostles who preceded. For those of you who are parents or grandparents and school teachers, you know, if you have two or three children or Bless her heart, Jessica, with a handful, a class full of young ones. You know, when you're out on a field trip or you're going in an outing or going into the mall or someplace like that in a parking lot, you know, what is it we almost instinctively will say when we got more than one, well, or even with one particularly adventurous child, you say, now, now, honey, stay with me. Don't get ahead of me. Don't run ahead of me. 
Why? Because you don't want for them to be adventurous? You don't want them to explore and find things? No, because you know if they run too far beyond the parameters of your safety and your protection, there's danger. Or they may exceed the rules and guidelines that you've set. And so John is saying here, whoever transgresses, whoever runs ahead of, whoever gets this idea in their head that they can teach and preach and proclaim even more than the gospel, more than the scriptures, John says, they're not of God. He said, well, preacher, that was first century. What does that have to do with us here in the 21st century? Might I remind you of a man by the name of Joseph Smith? Who with some self-proclaimed vision decided that he wanted to teach another gospel because he had received some revelation from an angel by the name of Moroni. And so he felt like it was perfectly fine for him to go ahead and write a transcript that would later become the Book of Mormons that simply says, oh listen, the Bible is just part of the truth. Let me take you further. Let me take you to the real truth and the real revelation and real Christianity. Or oh, those who follow the cult of the Jehovah Witness. Oh, the Bible's fine. They'll tell you you should believe in the Bible. But, but, you need the newest of the inspired writings that are coming out through the Watchtower publications. And be sure that you read those in addition to your Bible. Or historically, the Mormons. Or uh, uh, the, the Muslims. Years, centuries ago. Self-proclaimed prophet named Muhammad decided that the Bible was corrupt, the church was corrupt, and therefore he needed to he needed to correct it. And so again, under this false impression of having some vision from God, he begins to write a new book. The Quran. And then he goes, he runs beyond the parameters of the truth of the Word of God. Folks, that's how cults get started. It's all lies. It's diabolical, right out of the pit of hell, spiritual lives designed to misguide and to confuse God's people. That's the work of Satan. So in this second half of his second epistle, John offers, issues this somber warning. But then he moves forward and he it establishes a clear prohibition. Just like we as parents and those in authority, you know, it's important that you, your children understand what the rules are. It's just totally, you know, unfair and unloving to try exact punishment on a child that you've never told what, the, what is right and what is wrong. And so John is establishing a prohibition, if you will, to that early church. Now remember, he's writing, it's all the way, if you go back to verse 1, this is a letter. This is a letter that's written to a specific Christian woman in one of the churches in Asia Minor that John knew quite well. He called her the elect lady. He knew her family and her children. That's who he's writing this letter to. And so John is writing this letter to this, this Christian lady that he knows, that he loves, and he's wanting to give her some clear instructions when it comes to hospitality. First century Christians were expected to be hospitable. In that culture, people traveled. 
Folks, they didn't have the plethora of hotels and motels and places that you can, you and I can pick and choose as we go along. As they made journeys from one region to another, if they were a Christian, they would seek out other Christians. And if somebody was traveling from another part of the, the, the empire, you know, and they, they came to your door, you're expected to open your home up to them. Especially if it was another leader of the church, another teacher, another preacher. By all means, you would, you would invite them in and you would make them feel welcome and you would feed them and, and, and give them a place to sleep and you would, you would entertain them and let them have sessions of teachings. But John is given a prohibition here. He's laying down some very stringent guidelines about there's a limit to hospitality. And it might be good for us to listen up. In this prohibition, he helps us to see that when we are not aware, we may be blindly entertaining the enemy. Look with me in verse 10. If anyone comes to you, and just imagine, John's right into this dear lady. Some have speculated that maybe the word's gotten back to John, that she is just a very hospitable, kind of like a, a Martha, you know, type of Christian. Just, oh, she's, she's, if you want good hospitality, you find, look, seek out the elect lady, because she's so loving, she's so nurturing, she's so kind. Possibly, she's already started to entertain some of these people unawares that they're enemies of the gospel. But we don't know that for sure. So John is saying here in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, what doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. John's warning this lady. He's basically saying to this sister in Christ, listen, when somebody shows up at your door and they're seeking hospitality and they're wanting you to welcome them into their, your home and you're going to endorse them as a guest, John says, check them out. Even if they say they believe in Jesus, even if they say they're part of the church, John is basically saying, you be aware. Check them out. Because in doing so, you may be welcoming heretics into your home and into your heart. And if you're doing that, you could even be betraying the very faith that you claim. That's a very sobering type of idea. But folks, it's important. I know I, we were talking to companions and we were talking about some of the false beliefs and, and we were talking about Jehovah Witnesses. And, you know, we as evangelicals could learn a lot of lessons about the persistence and the discipline and the tenacity with which the Jehovah Witnesses are out there spreading their lies, if you will. But I'll give it to them. They're organized. They're determined. And I understand, I, I may have this wrong, Janice, but they went to this house, a, a couple of the witnesses did, and they began, you know, going on down through their spill and everything and discovered... Lo and behold, this woman was deaf. The average Baptist would have thrown up their hands and said, oh, well, we tried. Let's go play golf or let's go and go shopping. <laughs> they came back the next day. They had a translator. They had a, a woman that could speak with sign language who could share the lies in a, in a language that this deaf person could understand. Folks, let me tell you something. The devil is committed to his agenda. 
He doesn't take no to an answer. Oh, to God, that God's people would be nearly as, as determined to get the truth out there. And heaven forbid, people say, well, what should I do when they come to my door? Well, good gracious, don't let them come in and, 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 and take up house and, 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 and invite them to spend the night and, and uh, make themselves at home. In fact, you make sure before they break the door through the threshold of the door there, you make sure you know for a fact what this person truly believes according to the Word of God. If you hear any other gospel other than the doctrine of Christ as Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, listen, I'm not saying be rude to them. I'm not saying sick your dog on them or anything like that. Listen, be courteous. You're a child of God. Be respectful. But you let it be known to them, they're not coming in. They're not welcome in your house. You say, oh, but that's so unkind. Here in the South, we like to extend hospitality to everybody, not to those who are enemies of the very faith that you hold too dearly in your heart. And John is issuing that warning. You have no business, John says to this dear lady, but not just to her. This letter will be circulated around other churches to other Christians. And John is making it clear, listen, I don't care how friendly these people are, how, how wonderful and how knowledgeable they appear to be. He says, if you determine they're teaching and preaching something other than Christ Jesus, the Son of God, you stop them in their tracks and you terminate any seed of fellowship. You have no business engaging in fellowship with someone like that. Listen, he wasn't the only one that was guarded in talking about not being in fellowship with unbelievers. You're familiar with the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. So often this is applied to people who are in an intimate relationship with someone that's a non-believer or somebody that's getting ready to get married to a non-believer. Any pastor of integrity is going to certainly share with them right away, you don't need to be getting married to a person that's not does not share biblical faith in Jesus Christ. You'd be unequally yoked. You're setting yourself up for disaster from the get-go. And number one, God's not going to bless that marriage. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he said, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols as you are temples of the living God? Now, Paul's not saying that we shouldn't be friendly to those who do not share our faith in Jesus Christ. Certainly we should be. We should be respectful towards people who don't share our faith. We should be kind and compassionate when given the opportunity to minister to people. But that's a difference. There's a difference in that and opening up your heart and opening up your life and opening up your home in fellowship. And John issues this prohibition. He says, don't you dare engage in that kind of fellowship and hospitality with those who are actually enemies of the message of the cross. But also in this prohibition, he also helps that reader, this dear lady, lady, and everybody else that's reading the letter, 
he understands, helps them to understand this prohibition against unknowingly aiding the enemy. How, how can you be aiding the enemy? Well, look at verse 11. Paul says, For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You see, when you become entangled in a relationship, even if you open up your home and let a person come in and, and, and they're, 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 they're spewing out all the, the, the falsehoods and the lies and the unbiblical teaching, guess what? Unknowingly, you may be, you're hearing it. You don't know subconsciously what, what's going to stick and what's not going to stick. You don't know members of your family that are vulnerable may be drinking this, this garbage in. And not only that, you know, when, when you bring a false teacher into the presence of your home or your social circle, you are inviting confusion in, 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 in your own heart because they're trained. They're brainwashed. They know how to present their program, if you will. And, and it can be very convincing. They can quote scriptures. And if you're not careful... Just listening to that can bring confusion to you, but it can bring confusion to those who know you. Because when the word gets out, that oh yeah, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they're, they're really close friends. Uh, these people, and, and they're known to be Mormons. Oh yeah, they, they, they've been having them over at their house, and they've been doing teachings and everything. And let's just say that person that's making that observation is not a Christian, but maybe considering the faith and they, they watch you and through your association they automatically translate it to mean oh, well Mormonism must be another form of Christianity. It must be pretty innocent. I just heard recently on the news that the president of the Mormon church has had another revelation. You see God can speak to these prophets just, you know and, uh, and it's, it's just like the, the Pope. It is considered divine. And just all of a sudden, the president of the Mormon church says, oh, we need to really stop calling ourselves Mormons, you know? And, and we need to go with the more, you know, uh, amiable, acceptable term for our congregation. We are the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints. Out with that word Mormon. Folks, that wasn't a revelation from above. That was a revelation from hell. The devil is simply saying, look, you're not going to market th this false belief if you keep calling yourselves Mormons because anybody that knows the history of Mormonism knows the fallacies. So make yourself look more Christian. So the, a person that's watching you and they see your close association with those who are non-Christians, they may take it to mean, okay. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, John said this in 1 John, in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 20, John said this, he says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Listen to what he says in 1 John, chapter 2, verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. John says in that first epistle right there in verse 21 and 22, listen, we have the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need an update. You don't need a new modern revelation. You've got the truth. 
You need you have everything at your disposal when you hold a copy of the Word of God and the very person of Jesus Christ who is the embodiment of truth is in you. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got all the truth you need. Christians merely need to stand on what they claim they believe and do so with tenacity. So now as we move to close out this powerful little epistle and we turn our attention to verse 12 John is offering a, a, a warm farewell kind of a contrast now that he's offered these very stern and ominous warnings then he kind of tones it down and he's closing out a letter you need to get a letter even if somebody has to break you over the coals or whatever you know in the letter and point out things they don't like about you or whatever you know, it's nice when they say, well, you know, I, you know I love you and uh, I, I look forward to seeing you and I'm praying for you. And, yeah, just kind of warm it down uh, up a little bit. Well, John's giving very stern words here. So he's closing out his letter to this dear sister in Christ. And there in verse 12 he says, Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be fulfilled. John enjoyed fellowshipping with believers, not just there in Ephesus, but wherever he encountered Christians. John enjoyed fellowshipping. And so he's, he's concluding this second epistle with, with positive and encouraging words, implying that there was an unfinished agenda. As you see there, John says, having many things. John says, this is not, this is not everything. I, I haven't told you everything that's on my heart. I've simply written all that God has authorized me to write. It's very reminiscent of the way that John ends his gospel. If you're familiar with the gospel of John in chapter 21, verse 25, John, these are the last words of the apostle John in his gospel. And this is what he says in verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that were, would be written. Amen. And John is saying, in essence, to this lady, oh, listen, this is not everything. I've got so much more. But I don't want to write it. I, I, what I have, I want to be able to come and to, to share with you. You know, Christianity is a dynamic faith. It's not a stale, static kind of a, a, a religious tradition. The, the Word of God, is it not called living, living and powerful? And, and, and the, 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 the relationship that you and I have with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a wonderful, dynamic, changing relationship every day. Like that old song we used to sing, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Because we've not learned everything. God is still revealing things to us in our daily experiences that coincide with the teachings of His Word. And John is saying, that's an unfinished agenda. And I look forward to coming in person to share this with you and your family. And so John is anticipating renewed fellowship as you see there when he says that I will come and seek, speak to you face to face and our joy may be full. But then in verse 13, he makes it a, a personal closing. In this greeting he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. In other words, he's helping her to see the family ties. Obviously, there was another lady that was in the church there at Ephesus, possibly, 
who had children, they were, if they were children of her elect sister, then that would be her nieces and nephews. And, and, and he's passing along a personal greeting. Isn't it wonderful that God's Word is not just staunch, hard and fast doctrine, even though it's full of that. And I appreciate that. But there's a personal and a warm uh, nature to God's Word. It's written by real people. It's written by people out of love who understand life, who understand relationships, who understand even the significance of family. So having unloaded this very heavy challenge and prohibition and warning upon this Christian sister in the churches who would subsequently read this letter, John is saying, hey listen, I'm your brother. I love you. I share what I do. I love and I look forward to fellowshipping with you again. Well, this will open the door for us to move on into the last of the epistles. I hope this has been a message that maybe not informed you when it comes to false teachings and false prophets and preachers and cults. Maybe you knew everything that I even shared this morning about that. But you know, sometimes we can become so lackadaisical in, in our attitude that we're just kind of cruising on through life as Christians and overlooking the presence of the very enemies of the gospel that we cherish in our hearts. We need to be aware. If not for your sake, I promise you, for the sake of someone you know who's not nearly as advanced in learning of the Word of God, we need to be cautious and we need to be protective of our family and our friends who may themselves be subject to this kind of hideous deception that has eternal consequences. May God continue to speak to your heart, to our hearts as a church, that we'd be champions of the truth of the Word of God.